a Podcast One production. Hi, I'm Helen McCabe, the founder of Future Women, a club to connect, learn and lead. Everyone talks about diversity and inclusion, but how do you get results? And as a leader, why does it really matter? Aubrey Blanche has a master's from Stanford and is the head of diversity and belonging at software giant Atlassian. She argues building a balanced team helps hold you to the highest standards. Aubrey's insights will change the way you think about inclusion and diversity, and most importantly, change the way you lead. Here's Aubrey. Thank you so much, everyone, for having me today. I'm super excited to be here. But really what I want to talk about is the changing landscape of the way that companies are approaching building gender equity. And if there's any sort of phrase that I think sums it up, it's what got us here will not get us anywhere else, and it's time for a change. Um, And I'm really excited to share the the way that we've taken a very intentional and structural approach um, to creating gender equity. Um, And when I say gender equity, I also want to make sure that we know that we're talking not only about women, but also our non-binary and gender non-conforming siblings, um, who often are more marginalized and get left out of the conversation. But for this talk, I'll mostly be talking about women, although a lot of the changes that we've made have actually created um, significant representation gains across the organization for lots of different groups, uh, including multicultural folks and also folks over 40 who are significantly marginalized in the tech industry. Um, We have a bit of age bias, if you haven't heard. So... Why does diversity get in the way of gender equity? Well, first, I think, when we talk about why we care about what we call diversity, it's important to know why. So when I talk to companies, I usually say, it's bad for PR if we don't is not a good enough reason to care, right? You need to find your own motivation. And so at Atlassian, right, we're an enterprise collaboration software company based literally across the street. Um, But our mission is to unleash the potential in every team. And that makes it pretty easy to tie this work to our mission. We know we have customers in more than 150 countries, and teams are made up of people all over the world. We can't possibly help them do their best work if we don't reflect those customers internally, right? Their pain points, their successes, how they work, the languages they speak, all of those things. Really, really important to us. Um, But before I talk a little bit about Atlassian, I want to talk a little bit about the landscape right now in the field that we call diversity and inclusion, but I'll tell you why you shouldn't. So every year, Atlassian uh, conducts an international survey about attitudes and behaviors towards diversity and inclusion in the global tech industry. This year, we have multi-year data for our US, which is what I'm going to show you, but we see the same patterns internationally. What we saw, which was really exciting, is that most respondents, companies, believe that diversity and inclusion is important. Really, really great. But it turns out, as you've probably seen, it's easy to say that diversity and inclusion is important. It's actually much harder to make it important and make it a priority. What we found was that despite people saying that diversity and inclusion was important, that retention, a sense of belonging, actually didn't increase year over year for people from underrepresented groups. So if we care, that care isn't having much impact. And perhaps most dishearteningly, there was a 10 percentage point decrease in the number of companies that were investing in formal diversity and inclusion programs. My survey didn't tell me exactly why, but I do have a theory. 
So back in 2014, uh, in the U.S., companies started releasing external diversity reports. Um, you see a huge flood of money and attention going towards these problems, but quite frankly, none of the money was going towards the things that actually move the needle. And so five years in, you're seeing companies who have spent tons of money and seen low impact, and so they said, there's no ROI in this work. Um, what I say is, you just invested in the wrong things. And I want to show you a little bit about what the right things are. On an individual level, we saw that there was a significant drop, up to 50% year over year, in individuals participating in diversity inclusion initiatives. Right? That's huge. Because you think about at Atlassian, we always talk about if you just did one thing more inclusively, right? if we all did that, how quickly the culture would shift. And when we looked at the data, we found that one of the reasons that this shift happened was that even advocates and allies are overwhelmed. Um, so I always say that people are sitting in the Venn diagram of exhaustion. Uh, those of us who are pushing for parity and pushing for equity are pretty tired of asking for it. Um, the folks who are maybe on the other side uh, of the aisle are really tired of hearing about it. And those in the middle, especially post Me Too, post a variety of other sort of difficult political circumstances, are feeling overwhelmed by the scope and breadth of the type of issues we have to tackle, right? So we're a little bit paralyzed. Um, but I want to talk about the way, despite all of this, Atlassian's been able to make progress. And what I hope you get from it is that these are things that you can absolutely do yourself, right? This is not rocket surgery. It takes a little bit of intention and good organizational design. So what is the goal? What we want is to build balanced teams. Why? Isn't that just a branding question? And the answer is absolutely not. From our 2018 State of Diversity report, which you can get online, you'll see that the word diversity is actually inhibiting our progress. We found that our old approaches were getting in our way. Did you know that the word diversity is associated with two groups significantly more than others? The word diversity is associated with white women and black Americans. Even in Australia, respondents were more likely to say that black or African Americans were diverse compared to indigenous Australians, which is weird, right? <laughs> so what we actually want to talk about is building balanced teams. Why does it matter? Well, I think first, you're claiming the linguistic high ground. I don't think it's particularly obvious that diverse teams are better. Right, we spend a lot of time throwing McKinsey studies at C-level executives about this. But who's going to die on the hill of building an imbalanced team? Right? Like, no one. Um, so we've won there. But also, by using balance, we're using a little bit of a trick. First of all, we're maybe getting over the reticence that you might see from someone who's really sick of corporate diversity and inclusion initiatives. But it also opens up the discussion to a broader set of people when we think about. Certainly, women and gender minorities are important. But often, when we say women, what we actually mean are straight, white, cisgender, economically privileged women. Right? That doesn't leave room for multicultural women, women who are LGBTI-identified, those who have disabilities, those who are expats or parents or have had served in the military. Um, but it also creates a way for folks who may come from those visible majority groups to feel like they matter in this conversation. And in my work at Atlassian for the last four years, I've seen that giving people a little bit of buy-in um, causes them to actually take more actions on gender equity. Right? They feel heard and supported, and so they're willing to take action. So move from diversity to balance. Second, I am so sick of the word inclusion. I do not want to be included in spaces that were designed for powerful white men. 
I want to belong in spaces that were designed for me in the first place. And as a Latina LGBTI woman, it's really tough, right? To walk in there, I don't look great in a big business suit, and I don't want to project my power in the same way. And so I think it's time that we evolve our language, not only because inclusion has a little bit of a corporate feel to it, but because belonging resonates. We know that all human beings have a fundamental need to belong. And so when we focus on creating that feeling, what we found at Atlassian was that that feeling was correlated with greater retention, greater engagement, greater productivity, regardless of the demographic category that you fell into. So again, think about building for everyone and connecting to those common human emotions. I found there's almost nothing more motivating for folks, especially for majority groups, to get them to help out than when you have them imagine a moment when they didn't belong. Right? That like feeling in your stomach and when you walked into the cafeteria in middle school, right? Or you're at a party and you don't know anyone. And then follow up with, what if that was the feeling you had every day at work? Could you help someone with that? Amazing things come out of those kinds of discussions. So many companies invest in marketing and PR transformations around diversity and inclusion, but don't do the hard work of structurally changing the incentives of their companies to create more equity and balance across their organizations. I've also talked about this idea of using the umbrella term women and why I don't think it's particularly helpful. Again, because we tend to design for the majority group within that group, and we tend to forget about the folks who are intersectionally marginalized, which is a lot of fancy words to mean you've got a couple of different layers that are keeping you from equal opportunities. What we've done at Atlassian is actually embrace that and stolen a little bit um, from our designers. So our product designers talk about the difference between edge cases and stress cases. An edge case is something that, oh, we don't need to think about it, right? It's, it's statistically rare. A stress case is the difficult case that if we solve for that, we solve for the rest of the cases as well. So think about trying to get a woman of Asian background into the C-suite. So research tells us that women from Asian backgrounds are the least likely in the United States to make it to the C-suite because they have the overlapping cultural stereotypes of femininity as well as um, Asian people being stereotypically not assertive or leaderly, even though we know that's absolutely not true. And the last is we need to move from thinking about the companies to thinking about teams. Why? Because most individuals can take action to create change. But when you ask them to do something like empower women, you know, they go, what does that mean? Am I supposed to buy Dove deodorant? Why not focus on how to make the team environment where most of us spend the majority of our days just a little bit more inclusive? Giving someone actionable tips like put in a no interruptions rule in your meetings or be thoughtful about the time that you spend with your colleagues to make sure that those like you aren't getting extra mentoring time. Little things create the change on the individual level, and now I want to back up and talk about what that structural level looks like. So first, to know where you're going, you have to know where you are. <laughs> this sounds really simple, but I think over the last few years that the field of what I like to think of as balance and belonging has started to move in a more data-informed direction. At Atlassian, we take a very social science-based approach to building equity and belonging, um, and that means that we're constantly measuring what's going on across the talent life cycle. 
Um, it's a little bit more difficult to measure your candidate pipelines, as you all may know, uh, hard to collect data there. But first, we look at our hiring monthly and see, are we making progress? Are we hiring at least at what we call market availability? As a tech company, you can imagine, sometimes our talent pools are constrained. But we believe um, that we can, we can hire better from that pool by creating a culture where people want to work. We also look at promotions and pay equity. So not only do we look at our compensation programs every time we roll them out, but we also do a complete annual audit to make sure that all Atlassians are sure that they're being compensated equitably for the work that they're doing. And we bias pretty conservative in that, which is we don't just look at job titles. We look at people who are doing substantially similar work because we know that the title games happen. Um, we also measure inclusion. And we do that twice a year in our engagement survey with three different questions. And we found that those three questions best predict inclusion. So one, I feel like I belong on my team. Two, I can be myself at work. And three, my team has diverse perspectives that influence our decision making. And we chose those three questions because it gets at people's subjective feeling, but also making sure that people's voices are heard and valued. Because I'm sure we've all seen diversity programs where you get someone in the room, but they're not allowed to speak. And really, what's the point? And the last one is we look at attrition. And there, it helps us understand it's a lagging indicator of a problem. Um, so if we see significantly higher attrition rates for a particular cohort, we're able to go in, do focus groups, remediate, see what's going on. So in addition to measuring these things, we also know that we have to have inclusive and equitable organizational design. So we've made significant changes across um, our recruiting funnel over the last four years that have helped us hire better. And I'm very specific about saying that because our underlying philosophy is that building a balanced pipeline and building balanced teams are the outcomes of holding ourselves to the highest standards, right? So no more of this diversity is lowering the bar, right? The fact is a lack of diversity shows that you have inconsistent or low standards. Um, so what did we do? We built sourcing libraries. These are lists of professional organizations, hashtags, sororities, and fraternities, anything that we can find associated with particular groups. There's a non-negotiable trade-off between time and underrepresented people in recruiting. And what we've done is made all of our sourcing team more efficient at identifying qualified, interested candidates for our open roles. We moved to structured behavioral interviewing. This does not sound like rocket science, but it turns out it's easier to hire the best person when you ask all the people the same questions. Um, we also built something called a values interview. So if you've ever heard me speak before, you will know that I hate the term culture fit more than just about anything in talent. And the reason for that is that culture fit is nothing but an intractable morass of unconscious bias that lowers the bar. And so what we did was we actually looked at the Atlassian values. If you've seen anything about us, we're very big on them. And they're written not just to be something like transparency, but open company, no bullshit. Because we want it to land. We want, and we also want to know what behaviors are aligned with those values. So we did focus groups with hundreds of employees and came up with a list of the, the behaviors that are aligned and misaligned with our values. Things like being willing to give candid but kind feedback. Willing to go above and beyond to help a teammate improve. We just look for people with those qualities because we know they're going to be the best Atlassians. That interview is structured, specific, and you must be nominated to give it. So it's actually a point of prestige for our interviewers to be nominated, to be the keepers and the evolvers of our culture. 
Next, we look at the balance of our interview panels. We measure to ensure that every candidate who comes to Atlassian meets um, a female or non-binary team member while they're on site. We know that this helps underrepresented candidates feel that they would belong at Atlassian, but it's also a great signal for those folks who maybe have some not so pro-social behaviors, right? We get that red flag in the interview instead of in the performance review. We also have pioneered something called the balanced slate approach. So you may have heard of something called the Rooney Rule, uh, which came out of the National Football League in the US. But it required that teams interview a qualified, interested, underrepresented candidate for open coaching positions because they had an issue where all of the coaching staff was white, while the majority of the players were black. Um, we have successfully done this. Um, you'll see that four of the last seven um, C-level and board members that we've hired, I've identified as women, um, so it works. But we now actually apply this to all roles open at the director level and above. Um, we also create strategic partnerships with organizations who either help us connect with great talent pools or provide us guidance on how to continue building a more equitable organization. As you can imagine, we also host events and meetups on site at, at events worldwide, again, to connect with those populations with the assumption that if we haven't connected with an underrepresented candidate, that's on us. It's not a pipeline problem. And the last one I wanted to talk about, uh, because this came out of our recruiting marketing team, and it was so incredible for engagement. So when we think about activating our brand, we really try to align that with our values. A great example is last year at the Grace Hopper Celebration for Women in Computing. If you don't know, it's one of the biggest conferences worldwide for women in technology. Last year had 18,000 attendees. There was an enormous career fair there. And as you can imagine, every tech company in the world gives out tons and tons and tons of swag, right? You go home with like 85 new t-shirts, none of which you really needed, and none of which are going to have anything to do with your employment decisions, right? Who's ever taken a job because they got a pen? And so, right? Right. Everyone's like, yeah, of course, it's terrible ROI. So we were talking about this, and, and we realized that it was actually just not a great practice for us. So we took our swag budget, and instead of getting swag, we actually set up a JIRA board. JIRA is one of our flagship products, so it's a fake one. And we chose three organizations that were advancing women in technology, Women Who Code, Code 2040, and Black Girls Code. We created a set of double stickers, and every woman that came to talk to us, instead of giving them a t-shirt, we said, where would you like the money that we would have spent on your t-shirt to go? Please put a sticker under the name of the organization that you'd like to support. And so at the end, we divided our total swag budget proportionally among the stickers. So those women not only got to meet Atlassian, but also got to participate in building more participation across the industry. And what we also found was that it helped weed out candidates who were values aligned for us. The kind of people who were more excited about donating uh, to a philanthropic cause uh, are going to be better matches for Atlassian anyway. Um, so these are things we can all do, right? It's impact as opposed to brand. Now, I want to get back to talking a little bit about process, because I think recruiting is something we often talk about in diversity. And what we don't talk about is the way that people are incentivized inside companies to act either inclusive or exclusive ways. So what we've actually done is pioneered an entirely new process for designing bias-resistant assessments at Atlassian. 
Um, and I'll talk a little bit about what that means in performance. But for us, we found this was so crucial because your performance assessment and what we call reach, which measure, measures your anticipated future impact. So we look at folks' enterprise thinking, we look at their learning agility and their motivation. We know that these type of assessments can be riddled with bias that disadvantages underrepresented or marginalized people that have nothing to do with their skills and capabilities. The way I like to think about it is, it blocks us from seeing the brilliance that's already there. And so we take this really seriously. Now, what exactly does that look like? So we designed a gender equitable performance assessment at Atlassian. Um, so first, we got rid of the idea that the only thing you're being assessed on is how you do your job. Right, the traditional performance assessment is, did you hit your KPIs? Did you hit your OKRs? How are you doing? We actually broke our assessment into three separate parts. So first is values. You either live the values or you didn't. And we relied on that work that we did in the interview. So the exact same behaviors that we're assessing for when you're coming in are the same behaviors that you're held accountable for in our workplace. The second, role the exact same type of performance assessment you're always used to. And the third is team. If you know anything about Atlassian, we are obsessed with teams. It's even our ticker on NASDAQ. But what we found was that the types of contributions that women tend to make in the workplace were ignored. Things like engaging with our foundation or volunteering for DNI initiatives or scheduling that offsite or planning lunch for that birthday party, right? And we wanted to make sure that there was a way for people to get professional credit for those contributions. The other thing we did was that we equally weighted each of these pieces. So basically, we designed an assessment that does not work for the brilliant jerk. <laughs> Very intentional. We also, in, we also we user tested this with our managers. So as we were designing it, we actually let the managers use it ahead of time with fake humans. Um, and what we found was that measuring them separately, as opposed to saying, read all of these and give a final rating, produced more accurate results that were more gender equitable because it reduced what we call the halo effect, which basically means if you have a positive sentiment about one thing, it tends to carry over. We also looked at the language that we were using to describe competencies. So we relied on a machine learning technology called Textio, um, which can surface gendered language, um, but also looked to balance what we call agentic, which is sort of the doing language, versus communal, which is the supporting language. It turns out that when you use predominantly agentic language, you put a very strong male bias into any assessment uh, that you're looking at. And last, we really, really looked at the literature on growth mindset. So a lot of literature suggests that when you use growth mindset framing, which basically just means that you believe that skills and talents can be developed instead of that they're inherent, that people rely less on stereotypes uh, in their evaluations, which, as we know when we're talking about women in leadership, that the Venn diagram of words used to describe men and leaders overlap by about 80%, uh, even though lots of research shows that the uh, pro-social behaviors that women tend to exhibit or be socialized to perform more often are actually more predictive of successful leaders. <laughs> so growth mindset. We do not have performance ratings. Uh, we have performance levels. At Atlassian, you can get an exceptional year, a great year, or you can have an off year. But it's not about you. It's about how your performance is tracking right now, because our assumption is that you can always improve. So this is where we are today. In Australia, 
13% of ICT degrees are given to women. So globally, we're incredibly proud of the progress that we've made. When I started four years ago, we had 10% women in technical roles. Today, 18.4% not only represents an 8.4 percentage point increase, we've tripled in size globally during that time, meaning that the total gain is actually much larger. And when you look across all of our roles, we're doing even better. 30% of our global workforce identifies as female. And now I'm sure a lot of you are also wondering, yeah, 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 but is that all the junior employees? Right? Who is thinking it? Yeah. I totally love you for admitting it. <laughs> but we know that, that it's not just about getting women in the door, it's making sure they thrive, grow, develop, and lead the organization. And with all of the changes that we've made, I'm incredibly proud of the fact that our senior level representation is actually leading the company. Um, and really excitingly, that's largely because our retention is so high for female leaders, um, which both is great for us as a company, um, but also because it means that they're getting fantastic experience while they're there. So we're never done in this space, but I wanted to give you a little bit of a preview. Now that we think we've built the architecture of an equitable organization, where we need to look to next. So first, we need to create community. We know that being connected is incredibly important. And in the technology industry, frankly, because of what the talent market currently looks like, um, women tend to be isolated on their teams, meaning that they're the only one of them. And so what we've done is invest in a variety of programs and we'll continue this investment to make sure that women are meeting each other across teams and across business units to make sure that they have the same sort of social groups that their male peers sort of naturally form. Next, we're looking at meetings specifically. So when we were saying, what's the highest impact investment make? We realized that most of us spend an incredible amount of our time in meetings and our experiences there completely dictate whether we feel respected, valued, and included. So we're conducting um, a global study to actually look at the incidence of inclusive and exclusive behaviors in our meetings at different levels. Um, and we'll actually be able to identify which three to five behaviors most predict inclusion and a sense of belonging for underrepresented folks. And then we'll be testing methods uh, to create behavioral change. Uh, so let me know if you're interested in that, but that is a work in progress. And the last thing is we're really embracing our open culture. So internally, we encourage employees to write about their life experiences and the way that they impact how they feel at work and what they build. Um, so you'll see we have a blog internally called Side by Side um, that's by Atlassians for Atlassians. So Atlassians write about things like how to address them by their correct pronouns, what it feels like to be a mom coming back from maternity leave. According to Mel, super overwhelming and confusing and like you don't know if you're doing anything right, but it's better if you ask for help because it turns out everybody feels that way. Um, and not only do we encourage our employees to blog internally, um, we get hundreds of comments and likes on this, right? It, it's something that we encourage everyone to participate in, but we often take that content and encourage employees to take that to Atlassian Summit, our user conference, or transform those blogs into things that appear on our website. Just a couple of weeks ago, we had a coworker who wrote about why ageism is super illogical because it's basically bias against yourself. 
um, or about how to work better with an introvert or an extrovert or someone on the autism spectrum. And we believe that by embracing this open culture of talking about both the opportunities that your identity presents and the challenges um, that you need help with, um, we've created a community where people are constantly self-educating about how to be more inclusive and supportive of their colleagues. Um, and I think it's important to underline the, the role of the community in this. I think of myself um, as the head of diversity is me, I build the structures. I'm the architect, but then anything that sort of is groundswell or comes up, I'm there to support. Maybe act as the linebacker, right? Get you some budget, get some blockers out of the way, but really allow our employee population to solve for the, the challenges that they see in their local communities. So that means in San Francisco that we have a Women Wednesdays lunch. And in Sydney, we run mentoring, peer mentoring rings for women. And those were both challenges and ideas that were brought by our employees um, that we got support for, but we believe it's that partnership that has actually helped us move the needle so much rather than just directing the progress. And remember, that was from one of our live events. And you can become part of the movement by signing up at futurewomen.com. The Future Women Leadership Series was presented by Helen McCabe and produced in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Executive producer, Jenny Goggin. Sound production by Darcy Thompson. Darcy Thompson.